Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. Welcome to Crunch Time. Delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. New Havel H6 and Jolien has arrived. Receive a seven-year warranty at Werribee Havel. Archie had a problem. Arch threatens, pinches it, works it around the nice. He snaps it through for the goal. Meantime, Charlie's just using all the allotted seconds and around he goes to the left. And puts it through. Now we've got a game. Here's Mitch Robinson. He's clean ball. McCarthy. Handball to Bailey. Who knew his way around his defender. And more importantly, around goal. Got it away to Nash. Over his head. And Ross waltzes it in. How about that from the youngsters at the Tigers? Hand pass missed Bailey. Wins the footy anyway. Bailey brushed his way clear. Outside of the boot. Exceptional still. Exceptional from Zach Bailey. Out wide, it was a bit of a wobbly ball for Madden and Nate. And the Irishman senses a chance to kick a goal. And he wins the plaudits of both his teammates and the home fans. Bailey again. Zach Bailey somehow found the way. He's kicked a goal in every quarter. And his reputation is soaring on this Friday night. As the final siren signals six in a row for the Brisbane Lions. And they give Richmond a bit of their own. It's a 28-point margin. And Chris Fagan's men are on the rise. Season's ebb and flow. Right now we're in a pretty pretty nice little purple patch. But the minute you start giving yourself a pat on the back, you run the risk of uh, that stopping. So um, we're keeping teams to lowish scores and scoring well ourselves, so it's exciting that we're able to do that. The Lions issue their challenge in a performance to emphasise their deepening stocks and organic improvements. Forever the live wire, Mitch Robinson joins us the morning after. We spoke to the group about it then. We can't just rely on it to happen. You know, it's happened, I think, a couple of times before, but the fact of the matter is each year is different. We've got to play better. Um, We've got to get our troops back on the park and We've got to start a run, and that run hopefully starts next week. That's what we're building for. We've got to start playing a, a better brand of footy. We have to get our guys to connect because once again, we've been, in, you know, players have been in and out consistently throughout the year. So it's going to take some side, some time for us to be playing our best footy. So we've got to get started. Absolutely. Another defeat at the hands of a contender as momentum continues to elude the Tigers. Can they hang in long enough for the reinforcements to arrive? I think everybody agrees. 
having a coup at any football club's not a good idea. So I think, you know, Eddie agrees with that, I agree with that, and I'm sure Jeff agrees with that. I think what it's lacking at the moment is, you know, we just don't have clear leadership. There's a vacuum after Eddie. The existing board's, you know, really a, a continuation of what Eddie had to offer, but it's a continuation without Eddie. I don't have a message for them. What I would say is that, you know, as a, as a club, we've gone through a fair bit of change. And there's a little bit of pain going from what you've been to what you want to become. And the ructions at Collingwood intensify as the Magpies search for their direction on and off the fields. What comes next? Headlines, the crunch. This is Crunch Time. Round 10 edition of Crunch Time after the Lions put their credentials squarely on the table and the questions of the intimidation factor from Richmond, they did get a bit of their own last night from a pretty plucky Lions outfit. It either serves Brisbane well or it might come back to haunt them somewhere down the track. Whatever it was, it was quite brilliant to watch. There's, there is a rivalry that has been bubbling away, and it flavoured Friday night quite perfectly. Jared Waitley with you on a sunny morning down the highway at GMHBA Stadium ahead of the Cats and the Suns. Nick Del Santo is with me. Hello, Del. Very good morning to you, Jared. Good morning to everybody. You're spot on. It is a lovely, fresh morning, it must be said, down here at G-Town. Looking forward to a huge Saturday of football, but... You touch on last night, and we'll get into a lot more detail. I loved everything about last night's game. I love the questions that we still have this morning and all the things we have to try and work through on both the Tigers side of things, but particularly the Lions. Who are they? Can they continue this run of form and purple patch? You'd love to have that for the whole year. But I loved everything about the game last night. A little bit of spite, nothing untoward too much. The rivalry is back, and I think it is fantastic for football, Jared. Craig Jennings runs our strategy portfolio. Jeno, great to have you back on Crunch Time. Great to be here, Jared. What I saw last night was Brisbane have added to the how to beat Richmond checklist. They were just outstanding with their strategy last night. And the top four teams, top five teams in the competition are starting to get excited because Richmond's position in the eight is starting to look a little shaky. And Sam Edmund rounds out our quartet. Sammy, hello. Good morning, Jared. Good morning, gents. I love last night as well. But I looked at the Cray Twins for years up there at the Gabba. <laughs> Chris and Brad Scott, they roamed the Gabbatoire. Now, have we got the Cray brothers now? Mitch Robinson, Reese Matheson. <laughs> I loved every minute of that last night. Great theatre. It, it is rather perfect that Mitchie's going to join us. So I, let's start with the strategy against Dustin Martin, which we're getting different iterations of Genoa. And last night... It was Matheson who quite deliberately was getting under the skin of both Dusty and other Tigers around him. And Starsevic, who's having the most brilliant season one-on-one as a defender. Yeah, absolutely loving Starsevic's work all season. But we speak about, Jared in terms of strategy, number one on the checklist is find your Michael Hibbard. And that's the player that can beat Dustin Martin. So last night, it was more about finding the Michael Hibbard mindset. And they had that with Matheson. And it's not just about... Um, stopping Martin getting to the ball, but it's also getting inside his head and frustrating him. Some of those tactics that you saw from Hibbert a few weeks ago and then Madison last night and then, or Matheson last night. And then what you saw with Stasevic is he's a very, very sound defender with a, a real will to win every contest. So for years we've been told that you can't tag Martin. And what we know now is the way to beat Richmond, number one on your checklist is to find your Michael Hibbard or the Michael Hibbard mindset and you can get the job done against Martin and that goes a long way to beating Richmond. 
and no team had suffered more at the hands of Dustin Martin than Brisbane. Yes. So it was time to come up with something. He does and they have, have a blueprint of, of a plan. Dusty does that to most teams. He does have a rather large checklist of teams that he's been able to beat almost single-handedly. And the more I think about it and the more I reflect on last night, the way to beat Dustin and Richmond is a team defence. So we've named a couple of people already that had to contribute to slow down Dusty Martin. Just the 17 disposals, zero clearances. And if you can walk away from a game minimising his influence, I don't think you can ever completely stop him. He'll never have an absolute stinker. But they minimised his influence. And ultimately, towards the back end of the game, when they were getting desperate, the question becomes, is he forward, where he wasn't having a huge influence anyway? Or do you put him in the midfield, where the Brisbane Lions have been dominating that part of the ground? as well. So you speak about multiple ways of beating the Tigers. Clearly they're undermanned, which makes it a little bit easier that you don't have so many people you have to cover off at any particular time. But I'm also starting to sense Dusty's picking his moments. You know, I think we've seen this over the last few years. This is just the round robin competition for Dusty. Yeah, he's almost, well, wait for September and we'll see who turns up and who's on the big stage. But that's the motivation and the drive. We saw him dig in last week, for example, when they had to. They were undermanned again, up against it against the Giants. Dusty controls the game. It just wasn't there last night. It just didn't feel like it had the same intensity and the purpose for Dusty. Last night emphasised how important the previous week had been because it, it leaves them at five and yep. five, not four and six. So the Giants win was the essential win. And last night, uh, their, their stocks are just too thin against a contender at the moment. Now, Sam, it's at the the reinforcements are on the horizon from what Damien Hardwick was saying last night. They are indeed, Jared. So Trent Cochin, the captain, Shane Edwards, Dion uh, Prestia, and Shay Bolton could all return. Certainly, two of the four could return next week. But it must be said, Jared, that's the narrative around Richmond. We know that. But Chris Fagan made a pretty good point last night, saying, "Hey." Guys, we've got a few out as well. We've got the Brownlow medalist missing. We've got Jared Berry missing. Cam Rayner goes through there as well. So we're missing some talent as well. But Richmond, obviously, it's all about system, wasn't it, though, Jared? Isn't it all about the system? One soldier in, one soldier out. There's no substitute for quality, is there? And they'll get some back next week. So they've lost to Brisbane, Geelong, Melbourne, Port Adelaide and Sydney. So these are the the massing contenders and they beat the Bulldogs with a a stellar second half. The question I think is interesting is, so for the moment, they've lost their intimidation factor or the challengers are emboldened to, um, to be prickly towards them. So this is either the end of Empire, which I'm not a big believer in, or this is a, we'll store that away, and when we roll back through you at the business end of the season, what you did to us in the home and away, you're getting back with interest. I think the dynamic here is fascinating. And as an opposition player against Richmond, you need to tread a thin line here. Or just be careful which side you want to go on. And last night, I mean, you, you <laughs> want to enjoy all your wins, and even the little battles within. And we saw that last night. Did players go too far. We saw Cozzy Pickett a few weeks ago getting in the face of some younger players in the Tigers senior group come down to represent and, and take care of their younger players. But I can understand the enthusiasm. But we speak about a couple of these guys that antagonise all the time. They do that whether they're winning or they're losing, Jared. So that hasn't changed from, from that perspective. But if I'm the Tigers and going inside that change room for a moment, I, I reckon they're just taking some names uh, along the way. And when they do get their team back and when things are a little bit more on a level playing field, at the pointy end of the season where we know how well the Tigers perform. I reckon there'll be a few things said on the way back if they are in that position, Joe. There's no doubt about that. So there are shades of 2019 to all of this. They've gone loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. 
They are five and five. There's the opportunity to get to the bye at seven and five if yep. they are to beat Adelaide at the MCG and Essendon at the MCG in the Dreamtime game. So that shapes as such an important win for them. They would then get to the bye potentially at seven five with the Eagles in Perth after that. And we know in 2019 beyond the bye they didn't lose again. They staged, I think, the most calculated back half of the season assault I can remember. Yeah, and, and won the flag. So well, that's why I'll hold off on the the. And they've got eight of their remaining 12 games at the MCG. And we've seen what happens in that particular part before. I've got a question for Geno as a coach and and as an assistant coach. So the playing group will be well and truly aware of the plays that are out. Now, as a coaching group, Geno, you can't mention that to the current group. Say, hey, guys, it's all right. We're going to get some players back. How do you hold everybody still accountable for their performance week after week? But also knowing in the back of your mind as a coach or an assistant coach that you're severely undermanned. Yeah, the message out of Richmond will, won't change. And, and you saw in Dimmer's tone post-game, he wanted them to be better. So regardless if they've played one game or 300 games, nothing changes inside the footy club. And and we hear a lot about um, playing for the team and the team role. So Melbourne and Brisbane have really uh, – are two teams that have really caught up to Richmond in that regard. So forever and a day um, – the, the Richmond motto is, you know, the player in, the player out, everybody in there, we're system-based, play your role. And, and what I saw last night with Brisbane, and this is the thing that's really challenging Richmond at the moment, is in 2019, Richmond were the absolute best and had no peers in terms of the team first players and role players. But Brisbane, I mentioned this, Jared, on Thursday, they are probably, along with Melbourne, the best role players in the competition. And we saw that last night in terms of the Dustin Martin role. And you touched on it as well, Dell. It was almost like 22 players versus uh, Dustin Martin at times. And, and I, I felt like that Brisbane had trained the fend-off, you know, the Dustin Martin fend-off. And so what we're building, or Richmond, what they are coming up against now is this chest checklist of things that work of how to beat them. And that's the challenge for Richmond for mine. So like last night, there was a new thing that got added and Brisbane kept kicking to the forward pocket. And the reason for that is if they got a stoppage, they clearly were backing themselves at the ground ball in their forward 50 against Richmond's defenders. But also what they were able to do was take Nan Curvis out of the full back line. So he's just been great at intercepting and getting in the way down there. But by kicking to the pocket, they were able to block him in the goal square and get a free launch at the ball and either mark it win the ground ball there or get a stoppage. So for Richmond, uh, Damian Hardwick will continue building the belief in that group. Nothing will change, but it gets harder because everybody else now knows what the checklist is for beating Richmond and it's getting pretty long, all the different tactics that you can use. Always look forward to a chat with Mitch Robinson, Jared. But yeah. I want to talk to him about exactly this because Dustin Martin caught three times holding the ball last night. How often does that happen? And every time... He went to break the tackle. You could see the Richmond player, Mitch himself was one of these, set themselves, set the feet, almost bear hug-like leap into Dustin Martin. They, they were clearly ready for it, and they were bracing for that tackle when it did come. And Dell, pretty incredible yes. clearance number last night, plus 27 to the lines. That's the biggest differential seen this season. Yeah, 51 to 24. And they were clear takeaways, and they were dominant takeaways to put them in ground position. I just want to touch on that tackling, and I'm glad you both brought it up. And what I saw last night was attention to detail about a team that trains specifically for the fend-off. A lot of teams in decades gone by will train against Geelong for the 
the shrugging of the shoulders or the dipping of the knees to not give away high free kicks. I saw multiple times last night, Jared Lyons in particular, the swiping of the fend-off arm with, say, your left, so you could do the bear hug or just drive through that body because that fend-off arm wasn't there. So as a fend-off, when you're trying to tackle, you've got two options. You try and go kamikaze straight through it, Joe, which I saw last night. I'm watching on TV going, oh, they're going to get hurt. You know, protect yourself (laughs) as well while trying to make a tackle. Or swipe away that arm and therefore you have chest-on-chest contact. I love that attention to detail. I love that ability to know what you're going up against. Do that research during the week. Go out onto the training track and practice it. And I love the way they execute it. They only had 60 tackles last night, Lions. Tigers had 63. You know, I think the effectiveness, the multiple people tackling the one ball carrier at the time, it was significant. And something that we haven't seen many times, rarely in a whole game put together against the Tigers. So last night was about, for me, had the Lions improved? So two top four finishes, have they improved from last to this? Is they'd strung together five wins, which is precisely what the fixture offered them after being asked to walk the hardest of roads through the opening phases of the season. But last night, you could see it. So I I refuse to believe anyone is slow to Hugh McCluggage. The whole football world knows the All-Australian selectors botched that last year by not putting him in. Zach Bailey, Kingy had tipped his hand on the Monday means test a couple of weeks ago and he was quite brilliant last night. Brandon Stasevich, uh, the one-on-one contest that every job that he's been asked to do this year, he's done it and he did last night. They have greater depth than we've seen previously. Well, Joe Danaher is having his issues around goal and he always will. You can profoundly see how he's making them better. Hipwood's in good touch. They they absolutely convinced me last night that they are a better team than they were last year. What pleased me most about their performance last night, outside of probably the tackling and the ferocity at the opponent, was their ball movement. Now, you know, five and oh, five of the last, uh, well, six now, in the last uh, six weeks would highlight that they are a really good team. There's no doubt about that. But watching them last night, there was multiple occasions where they had a slow play, forced into a slow play off the back line, and then you went, oh, okay, they've been able to generate speed on the football. How have they done that? The overlap, love their work rate. I'm with you, Jared. They surprised me as much as I rated them anyway. Last night I was like, oh, okay, they're quick as well. And they've got real good defense and set up behind the football, but they've got speed on the footy as well. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Dell. And when I was watching last night, it popped in in my mind. I thought, this is the team that's got that best balance of the old-fashioned chaos versus control. And what you're talking about there is I loved when they moved the ball uh, a little bit more slowly and carefully and they avoided going into the Richmond down-the-line game that they excel at and they took the ball out the other side or they found a, a target in the middle of the ground before they went a little bit quicker. But on the So that's their control game that they did so yep. effectively. But then the flip of the coin was, is going into this game, I think Brisbane are one of the better teams or the best team in the competition, along with Melbourne, at winning 50-50 balls in all areas of the ground. So they're not just strong at one end, they're strong at all three ends of the ground. And what I saw last night was when uh, Brisbane won the 50-50 ball, they would knock it forward or handball it forward and, and create this chaos game but the momentum was going their way. And that is really critical against a team like Richmond who tend to do it to you going the other way and you're on the back foot. So I just love the balance of what they had in what you're talking about in terms of their ball movement. They had great balance between the control part of the game, but they're also really strong last night in their chaos game. And another element within the game was the shockingly lopsided free kick count at halftime, which was infuriating Tigers fans. And as it turned out, it was infuriating the coach who volunteered this on Channel 7. 
Yeah, 6.21 free kicks, mate. It's pretty hard to win the ball when you're either second to it or the, the count's not going our way. We've just got to get the ball going our way. We've got a young midfield, we understand that, but we need to start getting a little bit of luck, I reckon. It's not often, mm. Sam, that a coach would give voice to that in the middle of a game. Oh, the Twitterverse was absolutely on fire last night, Jared. As you can imagine, apoplectic Richmond supporters over the count. I mean, it evened up, uh, well, it was an even spread in the second half, but still a lopsided finishing result. And I just wonder, because by the final, Siren, da- Simon, Siren Damien Hardwick was almost sarcastic, uh, uh, an attempt at humour, if you like. Oh, I loved it, you know, and I just wonder if they thought, hang on, we have been seen to be having a bit to say about uh, our misfortune when it comes to the footy landscape at the moment. Maybe we'll just take, we'll swallow this bit of painful medicine and we'll just move on as quickly as we can. The first thing I thought when I heard it, Damien Hardwick was coached by Dennis Pagan, as were thousands of footballers. And Dennis Pagan used to always say, son, the harder you train, the luckier you get. So I think there's a message in that for Dimmer. Don't worry about the umpiring. Just get out there and train a little bit harder and you'll be fine. Mitch Ro- when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Robinson is about to join us on Crunch Time for the Western Werribee Auto Group, Werribee Haval Stocks, the all-new H6 and Jolion for your convenience. And for Red Rooster, of course, delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster, available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. The knock from Nan Curtis to Martin. He's mowed down by Mitch. <laughs> and it's holding the ball. Dusty won't like that. That's the only way you can tackle him is you jump on him. Hand pass to Lyons, driving kick. Oh, no real leapers that time at the back. Hipwood goals again. Oh, whenever you bring down Dusty, it can be expi- <laughs> really exciting. It's like seeing Haley's Comet. So you, when you do it, it just tends to bring everyone around and gets them all excited. So look at them. They're all up and about. They're all in the Dusty now. You can't fend us. So great work by Brisbane to get the great man down. It was one of the signature moments of last night. The protagonist was Mitch Robinson. It's always a good day when we get to speak to Mitch on Crunch Time. Mitch, congratulations and welcome. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. All right, we're not dancing around it. We're going straight to that moment. What was your technique against Dusty? <laughs> I don't know. It was pretty um, unconventional. I just saw him coming at me and I thought, please don't get palmed off into the next week because that will be all over social media. So I uh, just jumped up and just tried to bear hug him, really. So it, was a, it came off well and um, ended up being a goal, so it was a double whammy. We had the analogy as the five-year-old younger brother leaping at the eight-year-old older brother to make sure that he wasn't going to get shaken off. I don't know. That all happened pretty quick. But, yeah, I guess you can say it like that. It's just one of those things that we know that um, he's very well known for his palms and his fend-off. So just, um, just trying some different techniques to get around it. So in that match, so there's the light-hearted part of it, which we all enjoyed, but the technique. So you between you, you caught Dusty holding the ball three times, and we were just talking about the what looked like the preparation to to brush away the fend-off, to, to study the technique and to do something about it. How, how calculated was it all? Uh, it's obviously very tough because he does it at such a good... Like, he's got great timing with it, but um, we spoke about it during the week that not just only him, but the team's pretty renowned for it, so... Um, we do some a lot of tackling um, technique and craft up here. It's just like kind of trying to swap the arm and drive through the tackle. But um, yeah, it obviously came off well for us. And um, I think our tackling in the night in general is pretty good. Is that more specific than you've been previously around that? No, not really. We see a lot of teams start, um, trying to start doing it now. And uh, we, we kind of 
took the last year's finals um, into consideration that we weren't breaking enough tackles or our tackles were getting broken. So we spent a lot of time with that in the preseason and, and we just kind of um, you know, regenerated it this weekend. Mitch, one thing out of last night, you obviously walk away with a comfortable 28-point victory, but the way that you started and the demons, not necessarily of last year, but of what this team has done to you for the last 15 or 16 occasions, they kick the quick three goals, you're on your heels. What was the turning point? What did you guys have to change and speak about probably on field to even get to quarter time to put yourself back in a position to be able to compete? Yeah, it was, it was a really good comeback by the boys. Obviously, um, you know, Rewalt kicked the first three goals or something like that, and we, we kind of talked about well, winning the centre bounce clearance in our stoppages. We were getting beat a contested footy in that area, and we were giving our backs a good chance to help each other out. So when the ball's coming in like it was to them, um, they're going to kick goals regardless. So we just spoke about on field. I think our leaders around the centre bounce started getting on top, and um, we started getting more bang for our buck with our centre clearances and our stoppages. So that's about it. And speaking about those stoppages, you dominated it for pretty much the whole night. What was your? What, what do you think worked so well for you? What was the point of difference for you to walk away with such a comprehensive victory in the centre square bounce and around the ground? Um, we just got good synergy. We're starting to build a bit of um, a bit of team enthusiasm in there as well. We, we, I like younger blokes that get starting to go through, and Dev Robinson. Um, we got Reese Matheson's in there, and um, a couple of the younger boys going through. So we're just we're just not really focused on like everyone trying to get their job done. That's why we really want to get kind of into the team. So, you know, we've got a few players that are out of the, the, the starting midfield. So those guys are coming and playing the role, which is really positive for us. Um, Mitch, Craig Jennings here. Uh, congratulations on your game and the win last night. I just realised driving in this morning that you're one of about only 50-odd players, I think, to play 100 games at two clubs. So that's testimony to your commitment to the game. So congratulations on that. Cheers, Craig. Thanks you, for that. You've just given us great insight into, um, I guess, the match day tactics and taking us into the rooms during the game. Can you take us through... The week, okay. So uh, SEN here, we're building a checklist for what it takes to beat Richmond. So I'm wondering, you know, what was number one and two on your checklist for beating Richmond throughout the week? What was at the top of the conversation? Um, well, pretty much straight after the, the Gold Coast game, we kind of um, said, you know, we'll put that to rest and you know, we'll review it on the Monday, but we want to get go stuck into Richmond straight away because we know that they're a very, very good team in the competition. There's a great chance for us to test, out, get, test ourselves against the best. So Pretty much straight away, we started uh, getting on the whiteboard and writing down the pros and cons and um, what we could learn from last year's final. And we, we went through that a little bit. And then we started looking at the trends that, uh, that they've had in the last four weeks. So we do a lot of the review and it's pretty in-depth. We've got some great coaches who um, really took us through that, the midfield coaches and um, through all the lines. And pretty much from Tuesday onwards, it was just all about Richmond. And um, I think that kept us in good stead to understanding their game plan and, and the coaches which really believed in what they had. And then we just kind of trained through throughout the week um, in match scenarios and situations we might get put in, and that's kind of how it went. Well, that's outstanding. I really appreciate those insights. So you, you touch on your coaches there at the footy club and Chris Fagan, like, I just love learning about the coaches. So I'm wondering from your point of view, what do you love about Chris Fagan's coach, coaching? So you've had a number of coaches along the way, but specific to him, yeah. what, what do you see as his strengths? Well, obviously he's got that teaching background. Now, I'm going off here at the Gabba. That's a very um, obviously, his teaching background, he can really communicate with all ages of that group, which is a real plus. Um, you know, we've got some older boys and some, some really young boys and then a few in the middle. So he's, he's able to be able to connect and talk to all the boys, not just about footy, but off-field as well. So uh, he gets his, gets his head on a bit. He gets that grumpy face and, and walks around the ground and you, you kind of don't want to go around him during that time. But other than that, he's, 
he's really good with um, his um, simple messaging and his direct feedback. So that's, that's his plus. Hey, Mitch, it's Sam Edmund here. Thanks for your time this morning. I just wanted to ask you what level of verbal was out there last night. It looked like there might have been a bit of dialogue. Oh, definitely was. I think we're starting to building a nice, a nice sort of fresh rivalry with Richmond. Um, obviously, we played them in their last two finals campaigns and they've beaten us once and we beat them last year. So um, we'll keep that in our memory bank going forward. And you know, they've had the wood over us for 15 years now. So it's not like we just want to be a fluke win against them last year. And um, we really want to change the change the title of that and, and keep getting wins over them. But um, we hopefully see them later on in the year and we get to have another shot at them. But um, it's, it's really... It's really pleasing that we can come over with a win last night and um, the way we went about it. If you don't mind me asking, did you cross paths with Tommy Lynch last night? I think that's the first time you might have seen him on the field yeah. since some uh, since some comments last year. No, I definitely saw him out there. He, was, um, he came up to me a few times and had a few words with me, but um, you know what happens on field stays on field and uh, we'll leave it at that. But no, it's it good to get the win over him, that's for sure. Can I just quickly ask about Reese Matheson? Do you see a bit of yourself in Reese? <laughs> <laughs> I love Reese Matheson. Um, the way he plays, his attitude, and just the, uh, you know, he doesn't really give a, sorry, I say swerve, but doesn't really give a shit about what people think about him. He goes out and, and he plays for his teammates. It's, it's really um, fantastic to be around him. And his energy before the game and during the game really sets a standard for us and gets us going. So, you know, relieves me a little bit of pressure. I might hand the baton over to him when I retire, and <laughs> there he goes. Your little protege. There's like having twins there on the ground. <laughs> hey, the other battle we loved last night was in your full-back position with Harris Andrews going up against Tom Lynch. I want to ask yeah. you about the confidence you have in someone like a Harris Andrews and as a midfielder or a winger as you are, the, the need for you to push out, push back and necessarily support him or the ability to roll off, knowing that he's almost worst-case scenario, it's a 50-50, he's going to break even, it's going to land on the ground somewhere. Yeah, you touched on it then. Our role as a, as a winger is to get back and help support our defence. Um, He's usually the last line on the on the best forward, and last night um, it was pretty unfortunate that Lynch got a couple of shots late and probably kicked a couple of goals. But other than that, he did a really good job, and um, it makes our job a lot easier when with the midfielders and the wingers are putting pressure on the middies when the ball's coming in high and and they're surging and not getting those clean exits like we know they can do. So Harris is playing some really good footy. He gets a tough matchup every week, and um, he's a really good leader for us, that's for sure. Hey, Mitch, tell us about the lad from County Dublin, Jimmy Madden. He has got yeah. some serious yeah. wheels, Jimmy. He's not next to me. No, nah, Jimmy, he's, um, he's, I, think he, I think he's got the fastest time in the combine, and he always lets us know about that. So he, he trains on Charlie, um, Kitty Coleman, those guys every week. So he's, he's always playing on one of the small, dangerous forwards, and he's learning off those guys. So um, he's, he's got a little, little bit of dog in him too. He has a crack. So we really like that about him. And um, he's, he's come in good when um, Froggy Lesser and um, Darcy Gardner went out. He came straight in and didn't look out of place. So it's yep. really good for us to see him do that. And Zach Bailey. So... Uh, he was quite brilliant last night. He, he's really winning his reputation. What what do you see in him up close? Um, he, he can play a majority of roles. At the, in preseason, he was starting on ball for us, him, Rayner, and Lockie Neal. And obviously, we've had to change it up a little bit with a couple injuries. But Bailey, he's very zippy. And he's very fast in the forward line. And he can read the play better than most players. So if he gets to the end of it, he's, we're still teaching him to do the first give things and then sell for things. But uh, when he gets around goals, he's, he's you know one of the best ones at kicking those snags. So um, credit to him. Mitch, I have read down here, um, going back a couple of years, that the Brisbane players are really invested and come up with their centre bounce strategies. And and from um, my experience, Brisbane's one of those grounds that you get maximum benefit from your centre bounce strategies. So is that still the case that it's player-led in terms of what's happening inside the centre square at Brisbane? It definitely is, especially the Gabba. Um, the ball bounces you know, pretty high here and it's, it's one kicking it's deep in the forward line. So... 
if you probably haven't heard too much about Jared Lyons, but he takes over the, the midfield um, area. He, he he really scouts every team each week like a coach would. And he's been doing that since he first got here. So Jared Lyons has really been important for us in that area in um, setting up our midfield and our stoppages and him and um, Ben Hudson and um, Dale Tapping are like pretty much the three coaches who run us through that. And he's, he's been um, instrumental for us in our centre band's clearance of our numbers. Mitch, just where you are in your own career, 31 years of age, 13th season, as Jeno mentioned, 102 clubs. I think your journey's been so admirable. How how do you um, sense, where are you in the phase of your career at the moment? Yeah, I still feel pretty young. I still feel like a little 20-year-old um, hanging around the, the club rooms, being energetic and being annoying to everyone. I still feel like a little pest. So I, when, I, when I start losing that, I might probably try and pull up stunts because that's when you lose fun for footy. But I'm, I'm actually loving it at the moment, obviously, um, when we're winning games and I'm still contributing, then that's, that's a plus. So if I find that I'm not um, contributing on the field and playing my role, then you know I'll have a talk to the fags. He might give me a tap on the shoulder, but I'm really loving my time for you. I'd love to play a couple more years, and I think my body's um, still holding up in, in the tight situations and in the game today. So I'm still adjusting, but it's, um, I'm loving my time in prison. You, um, you've seen finals in five of your seasons. With what you're building now on the back of two top four finishes, is this as good a run at it as you've been involved in? Um, not necessarily. We're kind of in a similar situation as we were last year. I think our depth is really good at the moment. We've got about five injuries in our team at the moment who are definitely starting starting in our 22. So our depth in the team coming through is really really positive for us that we can push for the end of the year. So yeah, we're going to call on our troops all the way through. So I'm 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 happy where we're at, but we've also got a lot of work to do as well in terms of, um, you know, still only not halfway through the season, so we're not getting ahead of ourselves in that regard, but um, it's exciting times here, really. Terrific, Mitch. Well done on uh, on your performance last night and what you've been able to do so far this year. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Good on you. Mitch Robinson with us on Crunch Time. I love how Mitch is going to assess his career and when it's time to finish is when he's no longer a pest to the rest of the playing group. That, that is when he knows that his time at the senior level is done. He's going to get a tap on the shoulder and he stops annoying everybody else in the change rooms. What a, what a man. You know what? And watching the game last night, and we spoke about Reese Matheson as well, they're the guys you love playing with. They're the guys that you walk out the race and they're not the best players. They're not the best players in their own team but you just know what you're going to get from them. And they do a lot of the things that other players aren't prepared to do. So I love the balance. And you speak about having balance in the midfield. They're a lot more better balance with those guys there. How fine's the line for Matheson? So mm. the the sledge to Baker before he goes back and kicks the goal, but then really confrontational and, and a whisker away from a Liverpool kiss, really, in the aftermath for which he would be sitting mm. out next week. I thought to myself, if I was a senior player, what would I do? What would I be saying? And he's not necessarily a young player, Reese, but that's sort of who he is a little bit as well. I just, I don't mind you challenging the best in the competition. Just make sure you don't go too far, Joe. And I'm talking everything from respect, but also giving away free kicks on both fronts because they're both costly at some point. So it was okay. I'd just be saying, let's just call our jets. You know, it's round 10. There's a long way to go. A bit more of Damien Hardwick to come shortly, and we might discuss the idea of reliable, not remarkable, which was one of the nuggets that came out from the Lions in the post-match last night. You are listening to Crunch Time for the Western Werribee Auto Group Open 7 Days. Book your test drive at Werribee Haval. And for Red Rooster's new crunchy fried chicken, available at selected restaurants. In the post-match of some games when the players are speaking sort of unfiltered, you get the the insight into the language, into the mottos at the club. Jeno, last night we heard 
reliable, not remarkable. It was actually Zach Butters who said it, and it did occur to me that he failed because he was quite remarkable. <laughs> Zach so Bailey. He didn't meet that, Zach Bailey. Yep. He didn't meet the marker of reliable, <laughs> not uh, remarkable. But this was, um, Jordan Lewis mentioned that this was something that had defined the short period of time that Brendan Bolton took over from um, Alistair Clarkson at Hawthorne just through the illness as they had a mantra that I suspect Chris Fagan was a big part of, mm. of reliable, not remarkable. You know that was all right up my alley, Jared, when I heard it. And, and it tells you a little bit or gives you some insight into why coaching experience is so important and being open-minded to all ideas. And if you come across a good idea from any coach, from community level to AFL level, you put it in your coaching toolbox. But the key part is, so that's a mantra or a phrase, Reliable, not remarkable, but the key is for your players, what does it look like for each individual player and what does reliable, not remarkable look like as a team? So the thing that popped straight in my mind when I reflected on the game was in the first quarter, Brisbane looked like their forwards were taking or trying to take mark of the year and then after quarter time, you'll have some vision of um, Joey Danaher just going up for a mark but then palming it down to ground level to his crummers. So that's a little bit what it might look like for a forward there. You don't need to take mark of the year. Just bring it down to the ground level and let our forward half pressure do the rest. Jeno, I put it to you that there's a handful of plays that are reliably remarkable at the <laughs> Brisbane Lions. They're doing both consistently. And I think that's a really good way to look at it. And I just touched on before about Robinson and Matheson and who they are as players and what you want from players. And, a lot of it comes down to trust. Now, when you speak about trust on a football field, you know the, the list could go on for days about what that action may look like. But what I love about that is, and we've heard this, you know, play your role. Do, mm. do what you are required to do for the team. Stasevich, we want you to take the most dangerous player in the competition of the last five years out of the game. Matheson, we want you to annoy people, provoke them, poke them, you know, mm. just get under their skin. And that is what is reliable about them. But then you've got someone like a Charlie Cameron, be reliably unpredictable. Yep. Just make the game up as they, as you go. So I love the individuality that Fags as a collective, has got this group. And, I mean, it's easy to sing the praises of the Lions off the back of last night's performance after giving up the first three goals. But you have to because their style of football is exceptional at the moment. I loved what you said there, Dal. And, and you're in a great position to talk about role players and team first. Um, you know, I think about your era and, and Andy McWalter as a forward going up to the stoppage and blocking for Lenny Hayes. And internally to a footy club, it becomes so powerful. So um, I've studied sports all around the world. And one thing that um, research suggests is uh, Pareto players. So 20% of your players are responsible for 80% of your wins. But for them to perform, you need great role players. So, yep. uh, and, and what I'm seeing at, you know, Melbourne and Brisbane, and I mentioned this uh, during the week, Jared, on, on Thursday, is that I think Brisbane have just bought into that real team first mantra and it's just such a powerful thing. And then it allows your stars and the players that are remarkable, like you talk about, Dale, um, to, to really shine. But it also takes the pressure off the superstars in a sense that the expectation from the coach is not that you have to go out and kick five goals and do it all yourself, that we win as a team. Marlon Pickett, Sam, got himself suspended. He... He missed a free kick, didn't get the free kick for high contact. He rushed at Brandon Stasevich, and it was a, an old-fashioned clothesline that he threw. Is what's, How will this be ruled upon? Yeah, he was reported a match day report for striking Brandon Stasevich, which I think is a stretch, to be honest, on the surface of it, Jared, Free kick for high, really, isn't it? I mean, wasn't striking, probably not even really rough conduct either. I think on the surface of it, a fine at worst is what I, what I would have thought. Just quickly on that, Sammy, if he is put down for striking, 
but in reflection that it is not a striking action, is that grounds for to get it thrown out if it should have been, say, term, termed as a rough conduct or something like that? Well, I don't think he struck. I don't think he struck him. He certainly hasn't struck him high. I don't think there's a forceful swinging motion as such. Okay, he's got him around the the neck or the lower part of the neck, if that makes sense. So perhaps it's even more rough conduct than anything. But probably just as well. This might have been noted in the coverage that it was against someone as hard and as strong as Brandon Starsevich because he did stay down for a period of time. But obviously played out the game, no problems. I I can't see him missing weeks for it. Put it that way. The, the match day report doesn't sort of carry any real weight once it gets to Michael Christian. The MRO can, can categorise yes. it as he pleases. He can dismiss the charging the striking aspect and choose a different category What for did you it. make of it? What I do you think, think this I lands? I think he'll get fined. Is he makes contact with the bicep to the chin. Um, so it, I think it's clearly high contact. Um, whether it's striking or not, it was intentional. That That's the bit that yeah. plays against him, is yeah. it wasn't careless. He just ran at Stasevic and hooked him. That was frustration. Yeah, yeah, because he just missed the free kick. So for me, it wouldn't want to come back as careless because that would ignore what's happened. Mm. And the trouble is if it does bump its way up to intentional, then it, it carries more to it. Instinctively, it feels like a fine, but this is actually in the categories, I reckon. Um, let's hear a little bit more from Damien Hardwick in the aftermath with his Tigers at 5-5. Five and five. You go down by close to 30 in clearance, you're always going to be on the back foot. So I thought we absorbed some punches, uh, you know, at various stages, especially during the second and you know, get 31 entries in the first half. So it was always a challenge, kept in six goals in that first half. So it was a pretty pretty Herc- Herculean effort, really. And then they only kicked six in the second half. So we, we hung tough, there's no doubt. Um, we expect to play better, though. You know, I think there were some, some, some players and some system that we'd like to get a little bit better in that situation. So we're disappointed. You know, in fairness, we're playing a pretty good side tonight that, uh, you know, probably the form side of the competition, to be fair. So, you know, they played a, a really good attacking brand of footy and we just couldn't curtail it. You know, we'll always say it. We'll learn some things about our players and our side that we can we can go to. You know, we've found Baker that can go through the middle. You know, once again, he was tried his backside off tonight. Didn't quite have the impact that he did last week. But, you know, he found some things out about some players that can play in certain positions. And, you know, we think it'll hold us in good stead when we need to count on them, you know, down the track. And, you know, we look at last year, we had the same thing with Camden McIntosh. We, we, you know, during this sort of period, we put him at half-back and in the, the biggest game on the biggest stage, you had to go there. So we've got some evidence that we could back it up with. So there's some things we learn out of it. Um, there's certainly some growth areas we'd like to get a little bit better at as well. It was a 20-6 free kick count at half-time. <laughs> what do you make of that? Was that shaking the stick? I loved it. It was really good. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was challenging and... Look, the game's very hard to umpire, and but it's tough. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, I think the other clubs will get a fair indication of what they're paying now for, for the remainder of the weekend. It always seems to happen, doesn't it? Friday night, now all of a sudden the holding balls are back in vogue, and we'll see how it goes for the rest of the weekend. So, yeah, it is what it is. Now, we spoke to the group about it then. Um, we can't just rely on it to happen. You know, it's happened, I think, a couple of times before, but the fact of the matter is each year is different. We've got to play better. Um, we've got to get our troops back on the park and we've got to start a run and that run hopefully starts next week. That's what we're building for. We've got to start playing a, a better brand of footy. We have to get our guys to connect because, once again, we've been, in, you know, players have been in and out consistently throughout the year. So it's going to take some side, some time for us to be playing our best footy. So we've got to get started. Absolutely. 
Damien Hardwick, uh, who's responsible for some unbelievable moments in recent footy history for Furphy Refreshing Ale. Unbelievable. That 2019 season, the backstretch where they went unbeaten after staggering their way to the bye and such a, a calculated performance there. Uh, the question is, can they can they do it again? And Hardwick cautioning against the idea that it will just happen because they have experience in it. Furphy Refreshing Ale. Unbelievable. A couple of the things within their, their game. So... The, the Lynch-Harris-Andrews um, duel, Lynch ends up with six shots at goal, most of them late, and Harris-Andrews was quite peeved by the end of it uh, because a lot of it happened in dead time. How did, does, it, does it complicate scoring the duel? Does Harris-Andrews beat him? Yes. But in the end, he's kicked three goals, three. I think, I think if you're going to say who won the bout, it was Harris-Andrews who controlled not only the Tom Lynch one-on-one matchups, but controlled that back line. And he's a bit, it's like go-go gadget arms. Just is the moment you think Tom Lynch is in a good position, Harris Andrews just extends that, extends that arm and just gets enough to it. I thought he was in full control and just let himself down late. But you, you know what I loved about that, Jared? And this is sort of from a different perspective. Harris Andrews is learning from that. He knew that he'd had a really solid game, an all-Australian fullback performance, but then just lowered his colours in the last five minutes. So his ability yeah. to play out the entire game... And we just heard about Damien Hardwick, about doing it on the big stage. They're preparing. Like if, if they're serious about it, and I assume the Brisbane are, everything they do from here going forward, training sessions, reviewing games, finishing out games, is preparing for the big stage again. Got to execute. Marcus Adams got monstered early yeah, but fought did. his way back. He, uh, he looked like that was going to be a disaster. He was all night. out to see early on. And after quarter time, he, he probably won the duel from there. And had good moments. Crunch time with Nick Del Santo, Craig Jennings, Sam Edmund, Jared Waitley. We'll broaden out to the issues of the week next for the Western Werribee Auto Group. Open seven days. Book your test drive at Werribee Haval. Crunch time in round 10. So last night dealt with the Lions 28 point winners over the Tigers. They're 7 and 3. Brisbane having peeled off six wins on the trot. The Tigers are 5 and 5, trading wins for losses in recent times and waiting for the reinforcements to arrive. We've brought in out our conversation for the Western Werribee Auto Group. Make the smart move at Werribee Haval by test driving the new H6. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Nick Del Santo and Craig Jennings with you. And Sam Collingwood have been at the forefront of the conversation both on and off the field throughout the week. The boardroom machinations of what's there currently, the spectre of a challenge just over the horizon and Nathan Buckley reassessing yesterday publicly, uh, stating a position where the the primacy of winning each week is now secondary to the development. There is a a reset button Mm. that has been hit. He wanted to take some weeks after the Giants' loss. He's got all the feedback he needs at 2-7, and so the Pies are in a different phase. Now, the most critical aspect to this is, is the member who was pledging to start collecting signatures and trigger an EGM, has he been talked down by the club or will he be there with clipboard in hand at the MCG tomorrow? That is the 40-year club member, David Haightley, that you referenced, Jared. Now, he uh, had a meeting yesterday at the club's behest with the president, Mark Corder, and also the club's longtime media manager there, Stephen Riley. I've spoken to David this morning, and he is resolute, Jared, in his desire to still gather enough signatures to initiate an extraordinary general meeting and a spill of board positions. David did say that, yes, Mark Corder and Stephen Riley did try to talk him down to get to the bottom of why he was doing what he was doing and obviously to to ensure or do what they could do to stop him from doing so. But 
He wants the spill of all positions to allow voting rights members the opportunity to vote on the current incumbents and any other potential candidates as well. So he will be there, as you say, with clipboard in hand at the MCG tomorrow, Gate 1, Ponsford Stand, 1pm until 3pm to collect signatures from Collingwood members. Now, they are specific Collingwood members. They are Club 5 members, Legends members and Social Club members. They are the legal votes that will count according to Collingwood's constitution. So, curiously, they're not allowed to uh, receive or gather these signatures inside the MCG. Jared, the MCC has uh, sent an official document saying they are, they are not allowed to do that. So they will gather outside, as I say, Gate 1 from 1 o'clock until 3 o'clock to gather, hopefully in David's mind, uh, a thousand signatures. He says he's already got about 500 commitments via his social media channels. He thinks he'll get more than a thousand tomorrow and set the wheels in motion for an EGM. So that would be, so it is chaotic to have it happen in such a way rather than uh, not have, a, a, I guess, a challenging ticket do that. But it does serve the same purpose, doesn't it? Is There's a state of suspended animation while we wait for Jeff Brown to tip his hand or otherwise. Uh, this would essentially do that work for him. This, if all board positions are spilled, then it's essentially an open invitation. So it would, it would sidestep the idea of a coup. And that was Mark Corder's main defence, really, during the week was coups are bad for footy clubs. He believes it, Eddie Maguire believes it, Jeff Brown believes it. Uh, David's actions actually mean it's not a coup. It, it becomes an open race for anyone who'd like to run. And you use the word open, and I think it's very simple for David and the members that are aligned with him. That The members want to decide who runs the Collingwood board. They say it's all about democracy. It's all about accountability being returned to Collingwood. And David says that we're not just a corporate entity. We're a members-based club. So it is very simple for the members. They're, they're tired of watching um, these appointments be made outside of their control and outside of their uh, influence and and now it's got to a point Jared where it's put up or shut up time as we've said for a while now and, and David's ploughing ahead uh, aside from that meeting he had yesterday at, at the Collingwood Football Club with the President Mark Corder and he's going to go about gathering those signatures at the MCG tomorrow. They hadn't had a great week as they attempted a, a state of of calm and confidence this is a board that couldn't afford any missteps and um, the appointment of Dr Bridie O'Donnell uh, didn't pan out in the manner that they had hoped. Uh, not meeting the constitutional requirement of being a member for two years now. Colin would say they were aware of that and had sought legal advice in the morning. Mark wasn't prepared to answer a question as to how long she had been mm. a member, whether they were trying to slide that through, hope that it didn't become the source of discussion. But separate to any personalities in it is they said there were no there was no room on the board for Jeff Brown when he asked to join the board and they filled the open position with a candidate who wasn't well not that she wasn't eligible but she certainly can't fulfill the full role of a member until she goes through an AGM or until February comes around next year. No, and Dr. Bridie O'Donnell, Jared, might well be the most qualified person for the job, but it just smacked of a bit of desperation. It looked rushed. It was messy in the end, the way they went about it, Collingwood. So they were actually forced to temporarily remove the, obviously, Dr. Bridie O'Donnell's voting rights because, as you say, she was ineligible for the position until the club's annual general meeting, as it was slated. So she's been piloted in. She'd been a member, I think, for 18 months or 
or the better part of. So not the full two years as per the club's constitution. So it looked rushed. It looked messy. It looked about. Uh, it looked a lot like Mark Corder, the president there, just fortifying uh, the wall, uh, for lack of a better term, while the, I guess the coup looks as though it's going to peak its head up above uh, above the hill and, and charge in. So it looked rushed. It looked messy, which is unfortunate because I think she's immensely qualified for the position, but it was just a messy situation, Jared, for them when they didn't need it. The on-field, Nick Del Santo. So Nathan Buckley did, he shifted the goalposts publicly yesterday. They were a bit slow to do this, Collingwood, is their holding statement of trying to make finals when it had been absolutely revealed that they weren't that team. They're holding to the, they they should be better than they are, but two and seven is enough evidence to go, we're we're not in it. Yeah, and I think Bucks did the right thing during the week. I think he needed to acknowledge it. The evidence in front of us week after week was they're not around the mark of playing finals or being ultra-competitive with the best teams in the competition as it currently stands. I was in Sydney for the game last week with where they played the Sydney Swans. Started off the game really well. Aggressive ball movement. And in my opinion, just lacked some structure after quarter time when they were all at sea. They just kicked one goal in the last three quarters. And I just didn't see enough pieces of the playing positions, puzzle, be moved. I thought they were a bit slow with a few things to try and stay in the game and then ultimately go on and win it if they had any chance. I just thought they were a bit slow to to move a few things. But And I think from a player's perspective, and, and sometimes we look at these clubs and you feel like they don't know what's going on in their own football clubs. I can reassure you, the players are well aware of, of where they're at. Scott Penelry, still side-bottom Darcy Moore, they'll be looking beside them and knowing that the calibre of players and the age of the players just simply doesn't put them in that position from where they were in previous years. That's a reality, you know, and to think that they don't see that, I think is a little bit ignorant if you are suggesting those things, Jared. Dale, when you were talking then, it reminded me of, of your great era at St Kilda and, and everyone talked about you being a defence-first um, football club, but you used to kick 15, 16 goals every single week. And when I watch Collingwood, what comes to my mind is it looks like they've just got too many rules in attack. So it's almost like... Um, when they attack, they're thinking about how to defend at the same time. And my belief is that you set up your defence with attack in mind and attack Mm. is more about instinct. So just the way they look in attack, it looks like players start moving the footy but automatically are thinking about how to defend straight away and and that takes away some of the instinct. So if I was at uh, Collingwood Football Club and working on their game style, just get a little bit better balance but just allow the offence part of the game to be played a little bit more on instinct and less rule related. One helps the other though, doesn't it? What what comes first? And if you are starting your team from scratch, is it defence? Well, yeah, it probably is. But then you've got to add the lays to that. But you're right, the attack allows your defence to set up behind the football strongly. But we've been saying this for, for many years about the Collingwood forward line. You know, what's their best structure? You know, I remember that game, was it three or four years ago? I think it was round five, they were in Adelaide and they had one tall and all smalls and it worked really well for them. I think it was Jaden Stevenson that kicked four or five and a handful in the first quarter. And they created their own style. I just think they've struggled probably since then to work out what is the best system for them. And if you're scouting them as an opposition player or coaching staff, you know, you wouldn't have many threats in that forward line. Or, or the concern that, oh my God, the Pies are going to put 15 or yeah. you know 20 on the board. We've got to be able to kick 15 or 20 just to match it. They don't have that threat anymore for what they once did. Yeah, and I think what you're talking about there is when you're not threatened by a team in a certain area, it allows you to dig deeper and focus on other areas like yeah. Grundy and, and more. But what I'm seeing inside their forward 50 
is when there's a ground ball in there, I'm seeing almost like their forwards are hanging out and their wings are hanging out, setting up uh, or, or blocking the exits rather than playing on that instinct and all just hunting the football and so forth. So there's just a little bit when I watch them that I think, oh, it's going inside 50, but they're starting to play a role rather than just play on instinct. But you're right, not a lot of threats there and that allows you to narrow in on other aspects. So it's, t- it's much easier to take away the strengths that Collingwood do have. The biggest question now, and this has revealed itself a few weeks back, is it is it 13 rounds? Is it a year and 13 rounds? Is it two years and 13 rounds? The, the biggest question for Graham Wright to answer is when does this team return to contention with what they've got, with what comes next, and how do they get a critical mass of, of elite young talent? They've got They've got a chunk of young talent, but they're not the early picks that a rebuild or a reset comes from so yeah it's that, a fine line their isn't trajectory, it their, their own assessment of when the rise is it, it it's more important than anything else and separate to the buckley conversation i did i've believed this for for weeks the the whiteboard should say does scott pendlebury play finals again that should actually be their guiding principle are they getting back into contention while he's there given that he's showing no sign of decline and they could make that estimation or are they is when they return, is that calibre of player already retired? The other one that you need to tread lightly when you are assessing where your list is at, and and Righty knowing this group for a short period of time, but assessing them from the Hawks for the last decade, is you'd want to be more conservative than be too aggressive. So I think the Scott Pendlebury analogy, or the fact of that, is a brilliant way to measure it. But if you had to measure it one way or the other, you'd give it an extra 6 to 12 months if Scott wasn't there rather than say, let's rush this group forward and let's just push and let's go get more trades or let's be really aggressive at the draft so Scott Pennery can have another finals campaign. I think if that's your tipping point, I'd go more from the conservative side than trying to bring that timeline forward, Jared. Yeah, great point, Dell and, and Jared, on the... Uh, Pendlebury conversation. What I've seen for a long time from Scott now is he's a great team first player. So in many ways, he's a great, we know he's a great leader and he's a great player, but he can probably uh, sustain a, a, a lengthy career through a rebuild just because of his willingness to play a role for the team. So I think about him in the forward line and that football IQ that um, they probably don't have a lot of down there. So I hope he's one that can play for a few more years next yet. Is it is it fair to assume that Scott Pendlebury's got two, three? Is that the sort of timeline that we're all suggesting for Scott Pendlebury in, in multiple roles, whatever that may look like? So he would definitely have two more beyond this. Mm. Um, so that's... 22 and 23 and then you're, you're making your you're mm. guesstimating whether it's 24 as well so jared we've had this discussion on our thursday segment and that's why for me nathan buckley needs to approach next season like it's his first season coaching that football club and what we do know is the great coaches can turn clubs around within three or four years so you go back to choco williams and paul ruse and uh, they get their teams uh, luke beveridge did it in 12 months you can turn your team around really quickly but i think what collingwood need to do is um, treat next season for Buckley like it's year one and get fresh people in and new ideas and have that great energy. And then what you can do is prolong Scott Pendlebury's career potentially as somebody that can really mentor the younger players going through in terms of uh, team standards and behaviours and so forth. Six players taken last year's draft. 
Jared. So that, as you say, they're not the very the blue chip picks, seventeen through to forty four, but six players. So that's the nucleus of the rebuild in many ways. And Nick Dacos follows them in, obviously, at the end of this season. So we'll know a lot about them as those six players develop. I would have thought, and how quickly. You'd, you'd want, I think, to that you'd need to add three first rounders yeah. to really have the blueprint. Once those picks beyond twenty five, they're they're in the margins as to whether they pan out to be your nucleus or not. So, and we know Nick Dacos sort of costs them a lot in, yep. in, in what can they can get behind it, and even trying to trade back into the first round is complicated because it sucks up so many points. Is I don't know whether they can do it in next year's draft with their scenario, or whether it's next year and the year after. And this this is why the timeline I think is. They have to map that out, and Graham Wright's exactly the right man at the right time to do it, but you can't rush progress. They have to pick what their timeline is, and the notion that they could somehow give Buckley a one-year contract is just absurd. There's nothing that Collingwood that is going to be measured through one year. It's all about... 23 and beyond, and really probably 24. How they get Nick Dacos in is so fascinating, as you say, because there is a real points deficit there at the moment. Do they take that into next year's first, following year's first rounds, which which would be a terrible decision on the face of it because they slide so far down in the first round, or they're going to have to make a painful call early and orchestrate a trade to get those points back in. It's going to be fascinating to see how they go about it. And after the fire sale pain that was the end of last season, can they now attract an established player into that club with all the upheaval? Okay, they might have the funds at their disposal, but can they possibly get a blue chip recruit in the door after everything that's happened down there? And are you trying to do that now? Hmm. So that's the... I think they could. I, I, I truly think um, there would be players who would happily commit themselves to, to Collingwood, um, understanding what it is. But is that 2022? Hmm. Like, in a build... Uh, this is why their assessments are so critical. It's not 2022 to bring the blue chip asset in. It's got to be after that once you've built your nucleus of... See what's under the draft talent. hood. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The, the other element from the week, which I always think... Uh, it's a personal um, thing. I always think these stories are unfair. The unnamed football source who speaks of disgruntlement towards the coach. So this, is, uh, this has come twice now for Nathan Buckley during this season. Um, and John Ralph called it the drift, the drift away of senior players and, and the drift away of, of staff. Um, Dal, as I, I liked Ross Lyons. I suspect it was a phrase you've heard before, the pity party. We've got to stop the pity party <laughs> in the corner, which wasn't a bad a way shiver. of dealing with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to sweat over here all of a sudden. How often did you get the pity party? We had a few of them. We had a few of them. Just pick up the bottom lip and we all move on because... No one seems to care how you're feeling at uh, particular times. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know what? And you guys know this. I'm not trying to say anything that, that nobody doesn't know. But you're also human. So you have these natural thoughts and these natural feelings about your emotions to a particular person or a football club. But at the end of the day, you sort of work through it. So it's like another version of challenges in life. And we, we have heard that a few times, the old pity party. So the most... Um, the most telling factor in Buckley's favour last time around was the feedback of the players. Is They absolutely believed he was the right person. They were yep. all in on them. They did that review. They found the answers. They reappointed him and they got the successes for it. So they have the blueprint for what this looks like. It's obviously going to be a telling factor behind the scenes at some point. Is, do, is he Does he still have 
the players um, critically aligned in the manner that he absolutely did the last time the well, question was asked. Yeah, and just on that, you say the results, and they've clearly reset. The results aren't as important as the process, for lack of a better term, in the second half of the year with Nathan Buckley resetting. There's been a clear shift there, play the kids, etc., etc. But what the results might tell us, Jared, is are the players, quote-unquote, playing for the coach, which is everything that these articles from Tom Morris to John Ralph are speaking about, people speaking anonymously, the groundswell against the coach. Well, the only thing we can judge it on is what we see out on the field. So are the players invested in what they're seeing? Are they invested? Is a message still getting through to them from a coach who's been there for a decade? What are we seeing on the field to suggest that, that Nathan Buckley's message is still getting through? And that's there has been a pity party at Collingwood. Yeah. And it's been going on since the trade period. And it's only human that it would. Is There was a breach in their side-by-side mantra which had served them so well, and that's playing out. That at some point during this on-field season, that has to resolve. You can't mope your way through a whole season. And I've called enough of them to look around and go, there's moping yes. going on here. Yeah. You feel sorry for yourself at times. You, know, you feel like... And the other one that you, you can identify that, and just thinking about what you said, Sammy, about how do we identify whether they are still playing for bucks, whether they are still invested, and for the back half of this year, whether they are going to get something out of it. And how do we measure that, and what does it look like if you're a supporter and you're sitting there and you're paying your money and say, well, at least, you know, for a generic term, they're having a crack. At least they're having a go. But there's also things within that that make it really difficult and nothing's necessarily tangible to say, yes, they do or yes, they don't. And from Mm. my experiences, I think I had four coaches off the top of my head, apologies if there was more, but I never didn't play for a coach. But by saying that, I don't think I ever played for that coach either. I played for you know, pride and for your teammates. I felt probably more accountable for my teammates and what they felt about me as a person rather than necessarily that senior coach. So... I'd love to think that a young player, a player out of form that's still a senior player, is probably looking at someone like a Scott Pendlebury again or a still side bottom saying, I don't want to let that guy down. I don't want him to think anything of me but a really good teammate and that he can trust me. And I know that probably reflects on Buckley at the end of the day, but that's that's how I'd feel as a current player. I don't want to let the captain down. Yeah, Dale, that, that's great insights there. And I think when I hear Ross Lyon talk about the pity party Things inside a football club, you'll understand this, Nick, can be very contagious. So winning becomes contagious. Um, you know, this pitying becomes contagious. Uh, I don't see any signs. So I, I question aspects of the Collingwood ball movement. But I don't see anything in their game style or the way they play that they're not playing for the coach. Just at the moment, things aren't working for them. And like you're saying, Jared, you need to bring in a nucleus of, of early draft picks to help them out. When I do start worrying about a football team is when you play against the team and your players come off the ground and you and you hear them say, you should have heard what the guys out there were saying about yeah. their own team. And that's yeah. when the coaches are usually in trouble. So we'll know if there's a problem if Collingwood players out on the ground uh, whinging and complaining, infighting, all those sort of things that describe that um, they're no longer focused on what needs to be done to win a game and they're more focused on this contagious thing around pitying and, and their position where they are on the ladder at the moment. We're gearing up for a big day of footy for Dometic, everything you need for adventures big and small. There's an ominous air, Sam, around Zach Butters and the surgery that he's been sent for. It was there a bit startlingly on Monday night with Ken Hinckley on 360. Uh, where we weren't expecting quite as um, as uncertain an answer around Butters, and then it turns out that he's been 
sent for surgery. There's, there, I just think there's all sorts of levels of concern over this. Absolutely. I think the fray or the term nerve nerve damage, nerve injury does send a bit of a shiver up the spine, doesn't it? So he was back up and running and then he complained of more soreness and they've gone in and obviously now there's some nerve damage in there. So he's going to have to have more surgery on that left knee to release the pressure, if you like. So... It's a it's a serious issue this one, Jared, and and for a very very talented player as well. Obviously, with the ankle recovering from the syndesmosis rupture as well in the same incident, he's done the full box and dice here uh, pretty much with the syndesmosis, the knee, now the associated nerve damage around that knee as well. So no timeline at the moment either, Jared. They don't know at this stage when he'll be back. Well, I think Kingy said during the week he's their most important player. I don't know if he's their number one. But what I will say is he makes them look different in that forward half. And the, the really good teams have that. They have that person that's just got a little bit of flair that just plays on instinct and they make a few mistakes, but they create a lot of opportunities that other players don't create. You just want to see him play football. Like, I mean, at the heart of it, and as a, a lover of football and creativity, he's one of those guys you'd pay to go and watch. So I miss that when I watch Port Adelaide. He's really obvious, Geno, that his presence is missing because if you are of the view that they are pretty same-same in the midfield, he does give them a different look and a different dynamic when he's there. So you used the word look there, and so did Nicky Dell. So to me, football is a really visual game. And at the moment... Port Adelaide just don't look right. What does it look like when they win? And it is that dynamic midfield, great inside players balanced by some speed and some talent on the outside, but it's also what it looks like when it goes inside forward 50 and they're they're missing a bit of that spark and energy. So what does it look like when Port Adelaide win? You can visualise what Butters does and how hard he is at the footy and he's got that factor that we talked about with Darcy Paris. They've got those traits those big occasion traits, the will to win traits, and you would have seen that in guys like Lenny ha- Lenny Hayesdale. So and and Goddard was such a, a great player in terms of big moments, and so he's a huge loss for Port Adelaide. But you know the season is. Uh, was it Fagan last night talked about the ebbs and flows of the season? So a long way to go for Port Adelaide, and they'll find a formula with or without Butters. But it doesn't look right at the moment, and they need to be able to rectify that. And things look um, bad for Jake Carlisle as well, Sam, with the, the surgery that he's been sent for on his back. No, it's no good. Back surgery, absolutely horrible, Jerry. We know he's out of contract at the end of the year as well. He's fallen out of favour under Brett Ratton anyway, hasn't he? So you'd be right to probably question his uh, medium to long-term future down at Moorabba. Now the back uh, surgery on top of that. It's a long way back from him for, for at this point, I would have thought. What was this from a particular incident? Apologies for my... Where does this come from? Because it's only a couple of weeks ago he was in the senior team and he's been squeezed out. Was it mm. due to the back, Sammy? Uh, no, I don't Carlo? believe... Carlo? I don't believe so. I don't believe, I don't believe okay. so. No, no. Uh, whatever the catalyst is for this surgery, it doesn't look great going forward. And you mentioned about out of favour. That was off the back of some other players probably being injured. Yeah. Um, so we may have seen, unfortunately, the end of Jake Carlo. Training... Training incident, essentially, yeah, okay. if you can pinpoint one particular moment. Yep, thanks. And Jesse Hogan just can't get a crack at it either. This, oh. is, this was a great pity that uh, what he had one game, missed the next with a, a calf complaint, played, kicked four goals in a quarter, and now has done a calf that's going to cost him four to six weeks. Uh, it's, it's a real bugger, this one. Real bugger. A, oh, yes, I think it's a big loss for GWS. So I really like what they're doing. The result last night helps GWS if they can get over the line with against West Coast tomorrow. They'll find themselves in... The eight, I believe. But what Jess gives them is great football IQ. This guy is such a smart footballer. And he also gives them a bit of a, a different look. So they've got players up forward that can take big 
marks, and then you think of Green and what he does for that forward line. But Jesse's just so great at his endurance running, his speed endurance, getting up the ground and losing his defender and then ducking back and lots of little short leads. His forward line craft is outstanding. So he's a real loss for GWS. We'll talk some contracts and today's footy. So Carlton and Hawthorne, so nothing less than victories essential for the Blues and Geelong and the Suns down the highway for Dometic. Always stay relaxed and hydrated wherever your adventure takes you with Dometic's rugged drinkware. Um, Sammy's been on the contract trail during the week, men's and women's. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Western Werribee Auto Group. Werribee Havale stocks the all-new H6 and Jolion for your convenience. And for Red Rooster, delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken. With all the issues of the week, the contracts that are in play, the players who have committed, and the female star who's on the open market looking for a third club. All with Sam Edmonds. We've got Nick Del Santo, Craig Jennings, Jared Waitley with you for the Crunch for Bet with Joel, Australia's number one tipping service, gamble responsibly, 1-800-858-858. Sam, one of the long-term servants of football who was almost assumed was coming to an end in his time in the game, might be back on the tools. Unbelievable. Down your neck of the woods today, Jared. It's the Geelong recruiting doy in Stephen Wells. Well, he's actually returned to the club. He quietly resumed full-time work at the Cats almost as far back as a month ago now after stepping down to, as you say, consider his future. But this is a big turnaround. The longest-serving recruiting boss was only away from the club, Jared, for about two weeks before reporting back for duty. And he has once again assumed that demanding dual-role portfolio of list manager and head of recruiting. So he and the club have agreed to reassess those positions and his role in them at the end of the season. But I'm told it's now highly likely that he'll continue with Geelong in 2022, even if, as expected, his responsibilities are altered. Football, a little bit like the Mafia. Just when you think you're out, they keep dragging <laughs> you back in. You can't leave. And I, it's I, a beautiful one. Why would you leave if you're down here at the Cattery? They can't help but win the whole time, Sammy. I should point out the club, Geelong, uh, say Wells returning and Troy Selwood leaving are not related in any way. Obviously, with Ned Guy poised to move on, Collingwood went headhunting and they, they went for Troy Selwood. So he's going to join brother Scott over at the Pies. But it means now that the Cats have got some work to do, don't they, in this department. With Stephen Wells, a, a full plate. Andrew Mackey with him as well. I think Simon Murphy had filled in for uh, the two or three weeks that uh, Wellesley was away. So they need to reinforce that particular area of their football department, the Cats. Is the biggest contract news of the week that Taylor Harrison Carlton are parting ways in the AFLW? Yeah, well, it had been coming, hadn't it? So she uh, was chasing, I suppose, a a deal worth around $150,000 a season for next year. So those talks have now hit a stalemate to the point where they've completely broken down. So Carlton have said they will simply not meet the asking price for Taylor Harris at uh, only 24 years of age, of course, and already among the highest profile players in the league. And and, and Daniel Harford did admit on on RSN it had been a a very difficult negotiation. So that'll be her third club, Taylor Harris. And uh, they've got to, I guess, they've got to pay all their players as best they can. It's, a, it's an even spread there. It can't like it is any club, uh, to paraphrase Daniel Harford, the coach. So she's on the move, Jared, for a third club. Sammy, is that fair to assume then, no matter where she goes, she'll be getting that asking price of about 150000 well, I don't know the answer to that. I wouldn't have thought it's any guarantee unless something's been lined up in the cut and thrust of negotiating with, with Carlton that the manager of, of Taylor Harris has got a, a safety net at his or her disposal. Only they know that. Oh, there's no guarantees in that space at, at the moment, mm. uh, Dell. I wouldn't have thought. 
it, this is a fascinating case study in the evolution of the women's game. So has Taylor Harris done enough on the field to command $150,000, which is the right at the top end? Or is it her, her presence in the game where she is in the absolute top handful mm. of it? And can a club pay for the presence and not necessarily get the dividend on the field. I think it's the latter would be my um, assessment of this. I don't think her on-field performance warrants 150000 for her to be the highest paid, in the comp- uh, uh, highest paid female player in the country. But you're right. It's, it's trying to change the landscape or what you get paid for. Uh, are you club, getting paid for performance yeah. or are you getting paid for your marketable ability for that club? A club should be able to leverage that wage out of Taylor Harris's persona I think so it's one or the other is they should be able to trade against that to make it actually profitable for the club and thus if you're paying a little bit of overs for the on-field performance you're actually you should be on the right side of it so the men's program has an ASA additional servicemen agreement which basically is the use of your image or your IP outside of your contract now as a player and I had this in mind it wasn't a bad thing to do because you'd put it under a company name and you got taxed at a lesser rate. So you're like, no worries, you can put a little bit in this little <laughs> side account that I've got over here. It's all legitimate. Don't stress tax man. But I don't know if the female program has that set up as it currently stands. So there is a bit of a blurring of the lines as it, as it sits right now. And this is this is how the competition will evolve. Uh, it's got... It, it, that that part of it is an immature market for really obvious reasons, and this is a critical case study along the way, so and it'll be different in a decade's time. So your initial answer would be, yes, you think she is worth 150 well, and it is I the think, club's best interest? I think as a club, you would go, uh, asset on the field, no. Asset for the club, absolutely. You should be able to market against it. Um, so I think she's a really good buy. Uh, if even though on your on your whiteboard you might feel like she's overpaid at ten and a half forward, I think for a club as an asset, you if you're not if you can't leverage one hundred and fifty thousand dollars from having Taylor Harris as your pinup girl, then you're not trying. Is she number enough. one in your books? No, in, she's in, that in the top five. Five, okay. Uh, on that front, yes, and and she's nowhere near the top five when we had the fairest and best count. But she is clearly in the top five on the overall setup, Jeno. Yeah, what I really like about the conversation when it came up, Jared, was I'm a real advocate for uh, supporting female coaches and getting more female coaches in AFLW and the AFL men's program. And what you need um, for the younger coaches coming through is role models. And I think this is a great conversation for for players. So you get young players coming through, and and when you bandy around figures like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, well, for young players or young young girls coming through, they see AFL football now as a legitimate career and pathway. So somebody needs to break the ground in terms of these larger numbers. So I hope she gets every cent that she's worth. Adele, someone who knows, has texted me, the bulk of it goes under ASA. Oh, it does. Okay. So, okay. yeah, as long as she fits into the culture of your club, um, financially for me, you can make that work, okay. absolutely. Tom Liberatore is an interesting one, Sam. So the Bontempelli contract, we bon, Marcus Bontempelli is absolutely committed to the Bulldogs. That's just a matter of terms and money. Yep. Tom Liberatore is a, a slight curiosity, though, as you revealed during the week. Yeah, and I think he is in the Bontempelli basket. I mean, I don't, we don't want to be hysterical about it. It's hard to see Tom Liberatore playing his football anywhere else for all the reasons that we know. The name's completely synonymous. They want him to stay. He wants to stay. But it was somewhat curious that they would only offer him, at least in the initial proceedings, a one-year contract extension for next year when 
This is by far and away the league's number one ranked uh, player for centre clearances and total clearances nine rounds into the season. He's also number two in the AFL for contested ball. So he's absolutely flying at the moment, Tom Liberatore. I think he'll get the two years, a multiple year deal. We know historically that he has had to work hard for these contract extensions over time. He's coming off a two-year contract, it must be said. And we know he's had two knee reconstructions, but he's absolutely flying at the moment. I'm assuming, Jared, while curious, this is just the cut and thrust of the negotiation. He'll get there. No concerns with money. That that has been brought up. That That is not the issue. It's just the length of the term, Sammy. Just the term. Yeah, I think it was a shock for him to be given just the one-year offer back the other way when uh, they'd be chasing a multiple-year deal for sure. He he's worthy of a multiple year deal. I would think so, and I mean he's been highlighted multiple times already this year for what he does for other people in that team, and we get fascinated and caught up, and so we should, like everybody, about the finishes. McRae gets a heap of the football, Bontempelli, the list goes on at the Dogs at the moment, but a lot of those guys aren't getting the amount of football that they currently are without the likes of Liberatore going in, putting his nose in places that it shouldn't go, and giving it out to those guys. He's only just turned twenty nine, Jenna. Yeah, so when I um, listen to this discussion, I've never heard a coach talk about how much a player gets paid when you're picking the team and coming up with a game style. <laughs> and we were talking, Dell earlier about role players and their impact on a game. But what you've got here is two top-end players at the footy club, and you don't want 22 Marcus Bonson Palace and you don't want 22 libbers, but one of each is really powerful for your footy club and it gives you great balance. So you've got one winning it on the outside and one feeding it to a player, um, or sorry, one winning it on the inside, one feeding it to a, a great player on the outside. And so that balance in a footy club is just so so important to your game style. I'm with you, Jen. I wouldn't want 22 Marcus Bontempelli, yeah. but I'd take about five. <laughs> when, I, when I said it, I did double-guess myself on that one. <laughs> we understand your point. It's valid. Um, Carlton fans should be relatively comfortable, Sammy, that Paddy Cripps, that, that will get done. Um, so that brings Harry Mackay into sharp focus. It does. And this has probably always been the bigger of the two deals because Patrick Cripps was never going to go anywhere. And I don't think from what I'm hearing that Harry Mackay is either. But the length of the contract for Harry Mackay will say a lot, I think. What does he see in the club? Does he invest long-term as a young player? Or does he take the two years and keep some flexibility and his options open? I've been told that the results are pretty heavily dependent on this. What he sees over the next... You know, two, three, four, five weeks might influence the length of the contract that he does sign to start Carlton. And as we've said many times, Jared, it is not a squeeze, probably the wrong term down there, but it is delicate when there are some big contracts in place for players that have come into that organisation, the Zach Williams of the world, the Mitch McGovern's as well. We know that Charlie Curnow is being handsomely remunerated at the moment for a player who, unfortunately, through no fault of his own, can't get out there. So these are all factors in play when it comes time for Harry to Mackay and his management to sit down and uh, negotiate a new deal. I'm really curious around this one. Fifth year, 23 years of age, 57 games, and he's kicked 33 goals. He's leading the Coleman medal. What? So I get the Max King deal to lock him away for four years, and this, these are the four years that will determine whether he grows into that player. So if you want to do that, that's fine. If you're Harry Mackay, or if you are you really doing a long-term deal at the moment? Is it necessary in your fifth year? To do the long term year, to, to do the long term. I, I post you, uh, and I will answer. Why wouldn't you? Why are you suggesting that there's something there that you wouldn't think? Hey, let's lock this away for a minimum of four years. What's yeah. the positive on the flip side? Well, you. So I don't think he should put the club over a barrel right now. 
I don't think he's that player yet. He's showing all the right signs, but he's been dreadfully injury-riddled through his time. So I think two years at, at that 750 mark rather than pushing, and then in two years' time, if you're the player that you expect to be and the club has invested in you to be, then you do your... You be, you want the biggest so goes to a million. of your time. Yeah, so you're yeah. suggesting take two by seven fifty roughly, yeah. and then you're well established. You've got continuity in your performance and your body. That then, therefore, you're worthy of a yeah. million dollars. He's not a million dollar player yet for me. Not right now. So now, I don't think now's the time to wedge Carlton and go. All right, let, let's what, let's do. This. What happens if I pose you if he was to think the other way and say, well, I want a longer term deal for security that my body hasn't been. Being able to yeah. stand up to the rigors well, that I'm, let's lock in then four. Then if I'm Carlton, I'm going, oh, are we sure? He played two games, 13 games, 20 games, 13 games, and this year all is going well. Is is he a five, six-year contract to lock into at, at top dollar? My, my sense... I, my, I'd, ra- I'd rather see the next two years, both as player and club, hmm. in, in what is the start of a beautiful friendship. I like it all. I must, I must say, all of those suggestions, I I'm, I'm sort of feel comfortable with whichever way it falls. I think it's fair and reasonable. And that was always my feeling as a player doing contracts. Just give me what is fair and reasonable. You know, you, you look after the club in a small way, but they look after you so much more on the way back as well. So, What was the longest contract you did? I signed a four-year deal. Yeah. I think it was 2008 or nine, And that had to be ticked off by the board. And this is going back, obviously, a decade or so, where four years was a long, long time. Um, but that had to get ticked off. I think Nick Revolt did a similar one at the same time for two and a half times my wage. <laughs> so, Jared, what? Yep, go on. Just going to say very quickly, Charlie Kerno, that was an $800,000 a year deal, uh, four-year extension through to 2023. And that was questioned a bit at the time as well. So I wonder if you're Harry Mackay's management, okay, you've had some injury issues, but you're 23, you're leading the Coleman in a side that's sitting 13th and it's had its struggles. I reckon you're putting your hand out for at least a comparable figure to Charlie Kerno, who can't get out on the park. So I'll make the case all day long that Carlton have set the benchmark too high in the way that they've paid players there and players coming in. Correct. And it's hard to break that cycle once you're in it. That was the Crunch 4 bet with Joel. Transparent results, driven sports tips. Gamble responsibly, 1-800-858-858. Who needs a rever? For Harley Heaven, the Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. The Harley Heaven rev up for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson, Nick Del Santo. Rev the blues up. Go out and beat Hawthorne. <laughs> yes. Beat them big. They don't win often against the Hawks. It's one since God knows when. It dates back to about 2005. Shh, There's only been enough, the one win in there. <laughs> They're the three end- and six. They're keeping poor company on the ladder. Yep. Go out there and give them a good smacking at the G. You're spot on. They need to take ownership of their own career. The Blues, individually, I'm speaking about here before you speak about the collective. Because as a collective, they've been disappointing in patches or a lot of patches this year. But individually, take ownership of your career. It's short. Make the most of it. I know that's a very generic term, but you get to, you get a chance for two hours today to, to stand for something that we haven't seen for a long period of time against a team that has absolutely dominated you. So let's see what you've got. So I'm with you, Jared. Rev them up. Get out there and, and execute exactly what you should do.
They've got themselves to two and two, the Blues, Jared. They've lost four of their last five since then, but they've lost to quality. Port, mm. Brisbane, the Dogs, and Melbourne. Now they've got a struggling Hawthorne without Jack Gunston. This is the ultimate stressor. They haven't beaten Hawthorne at the MCG. You reference this, 2000. The year 2000, the Olympic year, was the last <laughs> time Carlton beat Hawthorne at the MCG. And Hawthorne haven't been good that whole period of time as well, Sammy, just to put that in context. If... Oh, I put this to you, Joe. What should they all be equal? Eight goals. Eight goals should be the margin yep. if Carlton play to what they should yep. do today. Text through an eight-goal result and don't don't even correspond if you haven't got that. They're <laughs> keeping company. <laughs> don't at, contact Jerry this afternoon if it's not eight. At three and six, they're keeping company with Essendon, Gold Coast, and Adelaide, and that is not the season that they set up for. It's time to soar. Come on. The, Get it going today. That's the river. The final teams are in for this one too, Jerry. The Hawks have swung a late change. So Daniel Howe replaces Liam Shields. So some more experience and quality gone from that Hawthorne midfield. Josh Honey is the Carlton medical sub, and Josh Morris will do that for the Hawks. I mainly say this because I called Hawthorne last week, and they were rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> They had McAvoy, Mitchell, O'Meara and Warple in the middle yep. and got smacked by the winless kangaroos through that portion of the ground. How do you think Clarko would have responded and what response will we see from that particular yeah. midfield group from think, the Hawks? I think he might have shaken them up a bit, Geno. Just yeah. a little shake-up. Everything you said, like these games, Del, when you're expected to win and you're playing a, a team that's going as poorly as Hawthorne, uh, there's a lot of tension and pressure that comes with that. So I think yep. Carlton need to go out there with a real hunter mindset. But the risk for Carlton that you know or the thing that you'll be thinking about is Clarko has that ability just to pull something out of his back pocket and you don't know what it's going to be. But he'll have done something this week and there'll be something different about this game because Clarko's a winner and he'll find a way to get his team up in this game. I can game. promise you, Geno, Clarko will not be allowing three opposition players from the Blues to have 37 oh. clearances and absolutely dominate that part of the ground. That was just off the charts last week. Yeah, I agree. Tonight's game is the match of the round, I think, uh, outside of once we got through last night, of course. So what's left is the Bulldogs and St Kilda. So the, the Dogs are doing everything right and the quality of their win last week against Port Adelaide the Saints gave us a glimpse if they are able to live to the standards that they set for themselves last Friday night they are they're destined to to progress up the ladder so they're both specialists at Marvel so nobody there are no alibis on that front tonight I'm really looking forward to this I'm with you on this one and I think the Saints will back themselves in not that they wouldn't most weeks of football, but I think against the Dogs, they backed themselves in. Heard a few little whispers during the week that the Dogs have been pulling up a little bit sore from recent weeks, so does that play into their performance tonight? But what I loved last week from the Saints, as poor as their goal-kicking was, as poor as some of their skills and decision-making was, was that effort was there. You know, the tackles were, and I know Brett Radden was vocal post-game about not getting rewarded for tackles. Well, if you put up 80 again, or mid-80s tackles, your pressure's up. So you will eventually get rewarded, whether it's through the free kick or just simply through a turnover. So that's their non-negotiable. We've seen that you can do it against a good team. Bring the effort, and then we'll fix up the other parts later on. Yeah, that tackling is a great point, Dell. And I know when you're, you're matching up game style against game style, so we've got two teams with great speed. But one thing you love, if, if your one wood is tackling like St Kilda, where they can tackle like they did last week, you love playing teams who handball because they give you an opportunity. So that's what this game will look like. Can the Bulldogs um, uh, connect with handball, or can St Kilda break that up? 
smash somebody in a tackle, the ball hits the deck and you want that next player coming in if you're St Kilda. And the difference in the game last week wasn't the umpiring in my mind, it was the accuracy that you touched on. And I talk about this a lot, Jared, on our show. Accuracy is the most important stat in football. You get opportunities and you've got to make them and they just didn't make them last week. We'd like the... So if the Dogs and Melbourne come through tonight, it sets up next Friday oh, night. Yeah. It's just magnificently. Took so, the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so Melbourne fans, a couple of weeks ago, we were having a bit of a giggle. If you really wanted to unnerve a Melbourne fan, you just sidle up to them and say, you could be 10 and 0. You know? <laughs> He's in the twilight today against Adelaide. They really should go 10 you and 0. You can't lose from here. And then set it up. Jared, you know, I've got a lot of... Uh, Melbourne friends and I keep hearing that they they're, they're getting nervous and tense and all this sort of stuff the ones I know they're confident as anything they want to talk footy and strategy in Melbourne so I think there's a lot of belief with supporters at the Melbourne Football Club I've also had a couple of people within the football industry that want Melbourne to go undefeated all the way through to finals because <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a better result buy in believe these are the best times of your life you can give us a ring now on the open line one 736 736 for Southern Phone switch to Southern Phone simplify your life with Southern Phone mobile plans a lot through crunch time it's all on the table give us a ring one 736 736 Sam Geno terrific that's been the round 10 edition of Crunch Time for Western Werribee Auto Group, Werribee Havals. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. It's the all new H6 and Jolly on for your convenience.